This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. You're listening to the Church Boys Freefall Q&A. It's Billy Hollowell here with the Church Boys, and I have Rosie and Gary Browsin on the line today. How are you guys doing? We're wonderful. Thanks for having us. Well, thanks for coming on. You know, I am fascinated by stories. I mean, there's so many different stories of, of people's personal faith and how their faith has enriched them, has changed their life in some way. And I think in your case, in your family's case, it, it's a case of healing and how prayer was a powerful force in healing. And you have a book, uh, Rosie, and it's Praying for Healing While Planning a Funeral. And I think that, you know, when I first saw the title of the book, I thought, wow, this this is really, really interesting. And and the book centers around you, Gary, and also, you know, Rosie, but you, your diagnosis back in 2010 of, of lung cancer. And from what I understand, and you can tell me a little bit about um, your lifestyle and your background, but you were a pretty healthy guy at the time when this diagnosis came. What were you thinking when doctors said you have cancer? Yes, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lifelong never smoker. Uh, I called myself the uh, salad and fruit guy. <laughs> Always ate well. Uh, hockey player for 40 plus years really exercise probably on average five to six days a week, some form of exercise. So getting this sort of diagnosis and my my understanding previously of what lung cancer was all about, um, which was totally incorrect. So I originally thought it was a smoker's only disease. And I come to find out that I was, uh, that that uh, perspective was completely wrong. And so Initially, very shocked, um, just devastated, especially when the doctors are saying, and we had we had two second opinions done, and the doctors saying that this case is terminal and saying things like, uh, do you have your affairs in order? Do you have a will? Have you taken a recent family picture because this is the best you're going to look? Uh, how are you going to spend your last days? So, uh, Obviously, we were extremely surprised and very devastated by by the diagnosis. Now, you had you had three doctors, is that correct, telling you that this was terminal? Yes, my my primary oncologist, Dr. Joseph Leach, uh, who continues to be he's my oncologist today, and I actually have just one more appointment with him, and I will be done uh, uh, forever with this case, and then we had another local oncologist, and then we also went uh, to the esteemed uh, Dana Farber in Boston, and they also agreed that my case was terminal. What are you? Okay, so you hear this, you hear these doctors say you're terminal, and I would imagine at that point everyone wants to hold on to hope, and you go to multiple doctors, you try to get as many opinions on what to do. I would imagine as possible. What is going through both of your heads? Are you feeling like, because I know we, we talked a little bit before we started recording, and I know there was, obviously there has been faith among both of you, and Gary, you became um, a Christian about three months before your diagnosis, which I which I think is sort of fascinating, but but what are you both thinking? Are you thinking we're going to beat this? Are you, you know, right when you find out, what's sort of going through your heads? Well, and, and I'll let Rosie answer for herself, but for me... I was I I was in some serious denial, 
And so each time that we would have one of these meetings with a doctor and a doctor would say, you know, this case is really bad, it's terminal, he's got a year, at two years at the most uh, to live, it was like God was sticking his fingers in my ears, and I didn't process any of this information. And so I would come out of those meetings and look at Rosie, and I'd say, boy, that went well. And she would look at me I'm like, are you crazy? Did you hear what, what they said? So in, I, had, I certainly had moments of weakness where it did resonate in my head, but for the most part, through the journey, and you know, I did not look up lung cancer statistics on, on the internet. I, I just basically was in a serious case of denial, and I think that denial was, was something that God blessed me with. And because, you know, I just, I didn't process any of the, you know, very little of the bad information, which I think was important in my survival. And what would you say, Rosie? What was going through your head? You know, uh, God had worked with me in the healing ministries for several years, almost a decade before Gary was diagnosed. So strangely, and that's where the title also comes from, is that even though I know my Lord so intimately and and have a, a deep relationship with him, I was really shook in my boots because it's one thing to pray for um, an emotional healing or healing from wounds, healing from minor physical uh, maladies. And it's another thing to pray when doctors are saying that, you know, how, how, how are you going to spend your last days? That's what our concern is now. And so it took it took a little bit more. And the Lord had warned us um, in a couple different fashions, and especially me, as Gary was going into denial, he and I would sit and talk, if you will, and you hear the Lord in your spirit. It's what I believe that you that that's why Jesus died is to send His Holy Spirit so He could have relationship with us. And God prepared me that we were in for a battle, and that I needed to keep my eyes on the Lord and to do everything that He had trained me to do, which really boiled down to getting a prayer team around us, uh, saying Scripture out loud over us, for the Word is our weapon. And really the repetitive of that, and then keeping my eyes focused on him, knowing that he was, he's not Santa, he's sovereign. And, and so many times our relationships are with him want to be a centered in a Santa sort of scenario where we would like him to give us what we're praying for. And believe me, many times in my life, he, he has said no to those things. So uh, for me, it was, I was learning how to trust him that if Gary was going to go home, if we were going to battle and Gary was still going to go home, that he would still be sovereign God in my life. And so there, the title comes from a, a double-minded position that he helped correct in me when I was literally praying for healing and then imagining and planning what Gary's funeral might be like should healing not come. And he was so gracious in that time in my life where he kept on just saying, you know what? Bring that back to me in repentance. Let's get our mind back in the game here. Do what I've asked you to do. Let's get scripture going. Continue to pray. Get more people to pray. And let me take care of tomorrow. So it's such a journey for us as Christians. We really I think we're expecting, and, and he often does heal in the miraculous, the immediate. But more often than not, it's a process. And to stay in the game that long is very hard. We had to stay in the game and wait for healing for the cured diagnosis for a three and a half years. So it was a long time.
So this went on really until mid-2013 or so. Yes, we received the all-clear in August of 2014, and the doctors actually said cured. This uh, cancer doesn't have a remission state, so it was either Gary or it was cancer. Well, when okay, so when you go through this whole process of praying, I mean, this is over three years. Mm-hmm. What? How do you? How do you continue? Because I think a lot of people today they think about prayer as, and you were talking about this whole Santa syndrome, which I really like. I, that's really funny and true. You know, that we ask for things, we thank God for things, it becomes very light and fluffy. Um, But then when we're really suffering, a lot of us really do turn to God. Even people who say they don't believe in God will turn to God in those those awful moments sometimes. But, But when you're going through something that lasts for three and a half years, how do you keep the stamina up to keep praying and to ask others to keep praying and to keep believing when... You know, maybe, and I don't know what went on the entire three years, but maybe there are a lot of those appointments you're going to where it's looking bleak, it's not looking better. How do you, and this is, I mean, how did you guys do it? But then also, how do other people keep that stamina up? What's your advice? Well, and I think it's an impossible stamina to keep up by yourself. Uh, in the book, we talk about, you know, my last prayer in the book is, by God's faithfulness, he built our faith. So he was... If, if you are walking in relationship with the Lord, if you can open up your mind to think that prayer, we think of prayer as our prayer going up. He is actually praying over us and leading us. It's a two-way street in communication with the Lord. That's why Jesus died and, and he sent the Holy Spirit. So if you can open up your mind to think that our amazing God, the great I Am, is actually in communication with you every day, you're able to see signs and wonders and prayers um, that are spoken, and plus you're open to receiving. So there is many times in our journey where someone would pen a prayer. Pam Nickman was um, our most consistent, but she was so in prayer for us that she would send prayers to us, and I would read them and go, there is no way that she knew I was going through that thought right then and there except by the love and and the grace of God. And so he kept on building us and and saying to us, I'm here. I'm right here um, through acts of kindness, through songs, through words, uh, through the scriptures. And so after a while, it becomes his yoke. And this is so difficult to explain unless you've asked for, needed to walk in the fact that his grace is sufficient. After a while, it became second nature to look around and go, okay, Lord, what are you saying to me today, right now? If I'm staying right in this moment, what do you have for me today? And and that became the way of life for that long. So you're mixing his wonderful supernatural, which is his natural, into your life. You're also um, bringing to the table um, health and well-being that you can do in your body. And uh, I can't dismiss or diminish the importance of saying scripture, the word out loud over yourself. God spoke the word into this world into being. It is our weapon that he has given us. It's what Jesus used himself to defeat Satan. And and so it's so simple. But there's many times I would pray when I was um, reclumped or exhausted. But Lord, you, it is written that you are a God who healeth. And I might say that 30 times an hour. Whenever I had an open moment in my mind, I tried to say scripture. So, um, and as did our friends and our prayer team around us. And and that's the part that's the battle. And um, and I, I I don't think we talk about that enough on how long sometimes you need to stay in the game with the Lord as He processes through healing through your body. Of course, we all want it immediate, 
consistently, and sometimes he just doesn't happen that way. So you you had these three doctors saying this is terminal, and you're planning the funeral while you're while you're holding to faith and hoping that this is going to you're going to find healing. How do doctors then react when? I mean, you had three of them agree with one another that this is not going to end well, um, Gary. How do you, how do they react when you are given the clear? Uh, I would I would say they were very surprised. Um, I'll, I'll never forget the the expression on my primary oncologist's face when I went back for my th- my first three month checkup in February of 2012, and they were fully expecting. Uh, the cancer to be all over the place. So they did a a chest CT scan and you know very detailed image, and and that was that was analyzed by radiologists. It came back and all clear. And I think by just by judging on the expression of uh, his face, he was very surprised and shocked that it came back clear. And then we had a series. I was checked every six months that, again then until August of 2014. And actually through February of of 2015, and they all came back clear. So the first few were very shocking. And then after that, I think he began to accept the fact that I was healed, in fact. And there was a a particular appointment that that we call out in the book where we're talking, you know, we're talking about my case. And I I put my hand on, on my oncologist's shoulder and I said to him, I said, you know, you didn't heal me. I said, you were an earthly instrument to make this happen, but you ultimately did not do the healing. And he just kind of gave me, you know, a little wink of his eye and a little smile. And like he he kind of gets it. And so that's kind of how things, how things progress. So I'd say very early on, very shocked, very surprised. And then a gradual acceptance of, hey, this is the way this case is going to go, and and so forth. And a, and a general joy. He was ecstatic. Very happy. You know, you, you become so close with your medical team, and, and they were all ecstatic, and there were several members of faith on our team. You know, at the end of our journey, uh, our oncologist asked Gary to speak at a lung cancer symposium, and I was watching this room of 200, you know, doctors that give their whole life to have cases um, like Gary's. They, they fight so hard on, on this side of heaven in cooperation with God, many, many, many of them. So it would be our joy to have faith and prayer be more instrumental in the medical process. You know, I think that there's many, many doctors who would love and probably do pray with their patients and, and have faith as part of that component. Um, that would be icing on the cake that we would just love to see one day. That would be fabulous. But, you know, in a private, personal way, they they did rejoice with us. It was amazing. I I might add that at this lung cancer symposium, so there were doctors that were flown in from all over the country, and and I was one of two speakers that night. And to prepare some of these doctors for when I was speaking, they opened up my file and they looked at my file and – they were sitting around after I had spoken and after the event was over and they, they were just sharing. They still do, do not understand how, how someone could have survived the cancer that I had. You know, and, and here you are, you've written a book about this and you're sharing it with other people. And I think a lot of times, 
you know, you, you wonder what, what the purpose is of, of the healing, right? Not just the, obviously the purpose of the healing is to heal you, but you also wonder what comes of that. And I want to ask you about that, but before I do, can you tell me a little bit about some of the treatments that you had during those three and a half years? And, you know, were there times where it really did look bleak? I mean, take me through some of that or was, I mean, it doesn't seem like this is a situation where you were getting better the entire time during the three years. No, in fact, they they literally brought me to the edge of death. So I was, if you can even imagine this, in in February of 2011, I was playing competitive hockey. On March 15th of 2011, I was diagnosed with stage 3B lung cancer that was considered terminal. Then on April 7th of that year, uh, they, they removed, after running a battery of tests, biopsies and scans, uh, they... they uh, they ordered to have my left lung completely removed, which they did on April 7th. And they, after that, they gave me four to six weeks off to recover from that. And I had three months after that. They called it the kitchen sink approach uh, because they were, after they had operated on me, they, the biopsies they took while uh, during surgery uh, indicated that the cancer had was outside of the lung and it was all basically all over the place. It was in the vascular spaces of my lung. So they took a kitchen sink approach and threw the most brutal chemotherapy at me uh, as much as I could possibly withstand uh, over a three mo- over the next three months. And then they gave me another period of time off and then seven and a half weeks of radiation. And literally by the end, I was. I had dropped 20 to 25 pounds. I couldn't lift a five-pound dumbbell. Uh, I used to lift, you know, 55 or 60-pound dumbbells. I couldn't even walk around the block. Um, that's how weak I was. So yes, they they brought me. They even said they're gonna we're gonna bring you to the edge of death, but it's really the only chance we have. I mean, it's just it's it's an unbelievable um, story, and I think. When when you tell people this story, how do they how do they react? You know, when you share, how people reacted to the book. Well, uh, I've had several reactions to the book. I've had several people say, "Thank you for writing something that's real." Um, uh, thank you for teaching us how to pray in a new way. I've heard that many times. Repentance was a huge part of our journey, uh, led by the Lord. He brought several scriptures to me about. Um, I will heal your iniquities, or I will forgive your iniquities and bring healing, Psalm 103, I'm paraphrasing that, but there's so many. Uh, So we repented um, often and thoroughly, which was very interesting. We learned a lot about our God during those repentance um, nights. And, you know, so I think it brings people hope, to be very honest, and hope that they can participate in their healing and they can bring it to the Lord. There's also a chapter in the book where we walked with a gentleman that had worse treatments with Gary and, than Gary, and he did go home, and his faith was just as strong. So uh, I think what it what it, the book does tell you is that God's grace is sufficient, and you can trust him whether you are healed this side of heaven or the next. You can trust him in your moment-to-moment, and you can trust him with the days that he has designed for you yet ahead. So... But in order to do that, you have to have relationship and you have to open yourself up. And sometimes that looks really messy. And certainly, oh my goodness, certainly we did not do it perfectly. And I think that's very apparent in the book. And that's what we have heard from people is that 
the book has given them hope, but it's also been real enough that they feel like they can also participate with the Lord in relationship. What would you say, and this is my last question, I appreciate all of your time, but what would you both say you each learned? What was the biggest lesson? And you may have already said it, but I, I would love to just ask directly the biggest lesson that you learned throughout this ordeal. Yeah, I would say, Billy, that the thing that I learned the most is you can't necessarily, you, you should not necessarily believe what you hear on earth if you're going through something difficult. You know, I, I certainly had, you know, some of the some of the most talented oncologists in this country basically tell me that, you know, that my days are numbered and that you have no more than two years to live. Where, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that the doctors do not determine and they, they have no idea of knowing what your last day is going to be. Uh, the last day is determined by God. It's etched in stone. And that's where you turn to understand what that is and to just never uh, despite when you're despite getting bad news to always remain hopeful and to keep your eyes and ears on the Lord because he is the author of your last day. Absolutely. And I think, yeah. I mean, that's so beautiful. He said it so well. In addition uh, to what Gary said, I, I think what he showed me in, in the angst and why Gary was in denial is uh, something more precious than life itself really is how much he adores us and loves us and is um, there for us in ways that are unimaginable. And yet it takes us to just open up to him and say, okay, I trust you. And in that releasing of your heart to him and to really trust him, regardless of the outcome, it is just the most amazing gift. And there's really no words for it, except that it's pure and satisfying and, um, and enough. And so to me, it was that I can trust my Lord and Savior to not only be God, but to be father and to be friend and to be healer. And all those things that you would hope for in the God from the Bible that we read. And yet it's so true. And um, he's so very relational. So. Well, listen, I really appreciate both of you taking the time today. Is there a website or anywhere that you'd want to drive people to learn more about the book and your story? You know, there is. It's Rosie, R-O-S-E-Y, Browsen, B-R-A-U-S-E-N dot com. And then there's all sorts of uh, Gary's story. We've been very vocal about it just because of the stigma of lung cancer um, for people who think it's absolutely zero funding or almost zero funding, that's a slight exaggeration, compared to other cancers because of the stigma of it being a smoker's disease. and um, so The we've incorrect been, stigma. Yeah, yeah, incorrect stigma. So we've been very vocal. So if they just Google our names, they're, they're able to find our Facebook and everything else. And um, the book is on sale online, of course. Walmart's putting it in their stores in um, December, and uh, Barnes & Noble has it on Amazon. So they'll, they'll find it. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for your ministry and all that you do. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Church Boy.